Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. If uh, this is your first time, I saw some new faces today. My name is Dale DeMille. I'm the lead pastor here. My wife, Jana, is with the kids today, and um, I've got three children, and they're amazing and running around, I'm sure, but they're big, so when they run, they're shaking the floor at this point. <clears throat> but we've, uh, we love our church. We love what the Lord's been doing here. Um, I have to be honest with you. I, I have just had so much expectation for what God's doing, and as I've been, as I've been uh, driving here, even, even this morning, I'm like, Lord, I am terrified. I, I am absolutely terrified. I, I have nothing to say without you. The, the idea of, of coming and, and sharing is, is really terrifying. I, I, like, what, what on earth would I have to say without Scripture? What, what on earth could I have to say that would be of any value without the Word of God? And that, that's really where I am. And that's why the, the song that we sang today just really just gripped my heart because it's like, Lord, this is it. Lord, I don't want to go forward. I don't want to do anything without you. And that's how we need to be as a church. When uh, we started this Follow First series, it, it first started out of, out of a devotional that I had started. And I was just really feeling like this, this is just going to be a great devotional for us and maybe just write something for the church and and as I began to write I began to get more excited and it's really hard working on something when you're all we'd already started our our beginning of the year um, conversation on release and then I was really afraid I was going to start preaching this message in the middle of release because I was so excited about that but I, I feel like this is so important for us because I see how easily we get distracted I, I see how, how easily uh, we, we see the new shiny object and, and the new thing happening over here and the perfect Instagram pictures that we gravitate towards and the stories and all the things that, that we make so pretty and we make so perfect and, and it's so easy to get swayed away by clever ideas and, and new things happening that, that we just we don't stick with anything because we have trouble sifting through the lens of following Jesus first. It's hard. I struggle with it. You probably struggle with it and you don't even know it. Maybe you do. How do we follow Jesus? How do we follow first and then take everything through and sift it through that so that everything else follows behind that? Last week, um, Eli, if you could put on the review here. So we, we looked at the Moses, I was a disagreeing with an author, Ruth Haley Barton, that she was talking about Moses as this dynamic leader, and it was a good book, but I was bothered by it because once you read it, you realize he was a terrible, he's not a natural leader. And he was very much an apprehensive follower, and we can look at this by his first argument with God. It didn't go well. So here was the first one. Number one, Moses said, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. This is at the burning bush. God is telling Moses that he's going to use him to help set Israel free from Egypt. They will not believe me or listen to my voice. 
And what does God say? What is that in your hand? And we talked about the gifts that the Lord gives us. He doesn't ask us to do things we have no ability to do. It's things that we already, God has gifted us with. He had a staff. What do you do with the staff? Well, God will figure something out. Then the second one, he says, I am not eloquent. I am slow to speech. My tongue doesn't work well. And what does God say? He says, who has made man's mouth? And then he dropped the mic. I mean, that's like the biggest closeout. I mean, who made your mouth? I did. Then number three, Moses said, who am I? I'm, I'm a nobody. I don't, I don't have the, the, the right education. I don't, I don't have all the credentials. Who am I? And then he says, I will be with you. And then Moses does his, please send somebody else. And then this is the first angry face emoji that God sends to his people. And what happens after this is that God already knew this was going to happen, but it didn't mean he wasn't frustrated. He said, Aaron, your brother, is already in route, and he speaks well. So God, okay, let's go to the next one for me, please. What does this mean for us? So this is how we closed out last week. Where God leads you, he will, so this is in response to those questions, or to his arguments, he'll be with you. Where God leads you, he will give you what you need. Where God leads you, he will remind you who you are. Help me. In him. And then lastly, he will provide an Aaron. And, and I have been changing the way that I pray, pray for people. And one of the things that I pray is, Lord, even like for those of you who own businesses and you're, you're working through things, I start praying, Lord, bring the right people because I know what happens when you have the right people around you. And that goes the same for us as well. So that's just kind of a, a brief, uh, for those of you who stayed home and stayed warm last week as it snowed, that, those were the things that we talked about. When Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, essentially he was saying, um, go behind me as a disciple. You need to follow me. Get behind me as a disciple. This changed the paradigm uh, of how things worked at that time. If you were a Jewish rabbi or teacher, people would come and listen to you. They would listen to your teachings. If you were doing something that was extravagant or maybe you were like one of the absolute best, your room would be filled. Now, it was against the law to charge for learning from the book of the Torah. And so a lot of times these rabbis would, would work, and so they would figure out trades. They would figure out things that, that they could do to be able to live and to be able to teach. And actually, it's really interesting is that in this economy that a lot of women actually worked so the men could intellectually go and do some of these pursuits. Isn't that interesting? So even if you, if you read um, Proverbs 31, and, and I, I think I had a talk on this a while back talking about it's actually harsher on the men. So to, to say, hey, this pro Proverbs 31 where it used to be used to just really say, hey, woman, you should behave this way. It's actually, men, if you read it, read it with yourself in mind. It's, it's pretty brutal to men. Okay, because we have to lead well. And so what happened in Proverbs 31 is it said, the man will sit at the gate and the woman will take care of the business. And what was happening here is that it was an intellectual pursuit that these disciples would flock to the rabbis. Now, how many of you, and, and I, I understand that, that 
I'm, I'm making a generalization here. I really, I don't know if I've ever seen a woman sit down to watch a bad subtitled kung fu movie. But is there anybody like me that every once in a while you can enjoy yourself a really poorly dubbed kung fu movie? Is there anybody? Come on. You know, I, I thought about imitating it, but I just decided it would just be embarrassing mostly for me. But when you think about it, if you've watched many of these movies, I feel like there's so many times it's like the same thing. Uh, a guy comes to town. He's looking for the toughest guy. And he goes to, you know, one of the martial arts places. And he, he goes to the grandmaster, or really it's the teacher. And he, and he says, I'm going to fight you, right? And um, then they, there's this big fight and all this because he wants to come into town, be the tough guy, and he wants all the students. So the person who goes in and beats everybody up, they are the ones who should have the students because they know how to fight. And so here's the paradigm. You're really good. You come in, and you're going to get the students. You're going to be famous. You're going to now have money and riches. So in today's terms, you make a YouTube channel. You make your Instagram profile, and you're going to have this new brand that you're going to create, and you're going to be somebody, right? And so this is really how it worked, but Jesus changed it. Jesus changed it. Instead, he goes and he says, hey, you should follow me. He, he didn't start teaching to gather the followers, and he could have done that. That would have been easy because that's what they do. They debate. There's rhetoric. There's things happening. And that's not what Jesus does. He instead, again, remember last couple weeks, leadership, right? It's the pyramid. You have the leader on top. Jesus flips it upside down. He says, no, I came to serve and to save. And then he says, now go and do likewise. And so here it's the same thing. He, this is counterculture. He's going and he's saying, you need to follow me. Get behind me and be my disciple. Um, yesterday, there, there wasn't a, uh, a dry eye in the room as, as Pebbles was sharing and going into some more specific stories. And she shared of the 99, and, and you talked about the story of, of the one. And this is a perfect example of Jesus doing that. Is it, the, the parable is just this amazing picture of 99 sheep are there, but one's missing. And so the shepherd says, I'm going to get the one. And here Jesus is proving that by going and calling the one and saying, get behind me, come behind me. And, and maybe some of you are saying, well, when I found Jesus, or may, maybe the idea that, that you somehow had something to do with your salvation. And John 6, says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In, in, in the same way today, as, as he was then saying, come follow me, his spirit is crying out to us, crying out to our spirit and saying, get behind me as a disciple. He's calling us to be people who follow first. So if I were to have a, a secondary title underneath this, I would call it what should be versus what is. What should be versus what is. Part of our human experience is learning that life is unfair. And if you're a parent or grandparent and you've had to deal with that with your children, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for your kids to, to learn that and and, you know, we have the helicopter parent syndrome where we want to protect our kids from experiencing bad things. But it's interesting, if you talk to people 
about if they could go back in time, if they could uh, redo things besides investing in Amazon and Apple. You know, they, they, a lot of people, once they're far enough away from some major heartbreaks and pain, they realize that those experiences helped create who they are today. And, and so even as a parent, as much as we want to protect our kids or people around us that we love, we also know the value in things not always turning out like maybe they'd hoped or prayed. You think about sometimes our children do things we don't want them to do. They make decisions we'd hoped would be different. Our spouses, our friends, our colleagues, pastors make decisions that maybe we don't approve of. We have in our heads of what should be. These people are a lot of times called idealists or ideologues. They say something like, well, that's not fair. Become frustrated quickly when things aren't happening exactly like they had envisioned. How exactly they thought things were supposed to turn out. They, they refuse to believe that there could be anything outside of the way they believe things are supposed to happen. Ideologues, a lot of times, are know-it-alls. If things are going against what they think or believe, they name-call, they get angry, they'll interrupt so you can't finish, they threaten. What do we do when our ideas, our worldview, or our way of life is being threatened. If I were to ask you today how many times that's happened to you, I think that you would say quite a bit. You could probably even name a couple times. What should be versus what is. I think it was about a year and a half ago. <clears throat> my, my daughter is, you know, a full-grown girl, beautiful, smart, outgoing. And uh, one of her close friends had uh, lost her, her dad. And Eden was at their house. Eden was spending time. Eden was praying with them. And I'll never forget, I was sitting down in our living room on our recliner, and Eden came in and just collapsed on me. Just collapsed like when her little finger got stuck in the door when she was three. And I'm, I'm holding my girl who's absolutely devastated. Why? Dad, why? This is, she's my best friend. Why? 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 What it is versus what should be. And as Christians... We sometimes have difficulty in this area because we see the totality of Scripture and what God had intended. We see what God had intended and before our sin interrupted peace and perfection of what God had created. We see pictures of how God envisioned things to be. And in this view of the world, it, it, it has caused us to cry out and say, God, Why? And then this brings up the age-old question that people, theologians, and people have tried to answer for so long. Even Augustine faced this question, if there is a God, then why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? 
In the Bible, we see these pictures of perfection. We see the glimpses of how things were to be. And so I, I think that we, we hear the words of Jesus and, and we see foretastes of God ruling with perfection and we're so hungry for it. And I think that's why Christians have a tendency of, of being ideologues because we're like, this is not the right way. Doesn't, can't the world see that this is not the way that God had intended? Jesus was the man who knew no sin, who came as perfection, a spotless lamb led to the slaughter. He was to be and was our replacement. He was our redeemer, our liberator, our father, our shepherd, our hope, our life, and even a scapegoat. In, in the Old Testament times, of course, before Christ had, had come, the priest would take a, a goat and, and he would take the sins of Israel, all of Israel, and he would put his hands on the goat's head and he would pray and it was to release the sins of Israel and put them on this perfect animal and it was now cursed and it was sent out into the wilderness to roam and to wander and to die. Jesus was our scapegoat, friends. It was just like we took our hands and we laid them upon Jesus as he was on the cross, as he took the sins of all mankind once and for all and died for you and for me. When Israel had given Moses permission to lead them out of Egypt, it didn't go like they thought it was supposed to. I mean, let's face it, there was some glitz and glamour. He had a staff that turned into a snake. That's pretty dope, you know. He could, he could put his hand into his robe and go, leprosy. No leprosy. I mean, he had some really cool tricks, and they were like, ooh, ah. And then it started. He went to Pharaoh. Hey, let my people go. We're going to go into the wilderness for three days and pray. Blah, blah, blah. Not happening. All of a sudden he goes, oh, apparently you guys have too much time on your hands. And so I'm going to double your workload. Okay. First, now their idea of how amazing this is going to be, Pharaoh's just going to let them go, is now come towards pain and it's now suffering, and now they're being affected, and they're angry, and who do they get mad at? Moses. And Moses then turns to God and says, what are you doing? This doesn't seem right. I thought you called me to do this. And friends, after 430 years of being under the thumb of somebody else, they didn't even understand freedom. They didn't understand what that looked like. They didn't understand the idea of what it could mean to not be told what to do. This is all that they knew. Their, their brains were hardwired for working for Egypt, and that is it. They couldn't even think of anything outside of this. What should have been was far from what they thought was supposed to happen. Exodus 14, we have five verses here. And when Pharaoh drew near, so this is after all of the plagues that happened, Israel was finally set free. They were 
on their way out. They're so excited. Just like God had said, they actually pillaged Egyptians that they were like, okay, go, get, go. Clearly God is with you. We have done wrong. Take all of our stuff. Egypt or uh, Israel is now on their way. They're fleeing. Things are looking good. I mean, man. And all of a sudden, in verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Who knew that, that um, the Hebrews could have some sarcasm? I mean, this is ripe with sarcasm, right? What, they didn't have enough tombs there, so you thought you would bring us out here to die? Verse 12, Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Man, look at them. They're going right back to, we had it better. We had it better. Verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to shut up. <laughs> That's really what is being said here, friends. And kids, if your parents tell you not to say shut up, don't say shut up, okay? <clears throat> It is understandable. Israel was um, incredibly ignorant at this time. They, they didn't know, they didn't understand what awaited them. They, they couldn't even conceive of, of what life would be like. It is literally all they know. I, I have a friend who, he's a professor that takes people to Uganda. They're his business classes, and he and he, they, they look at, they don't try and bring U.S. businesses to Uganda. They say, what do you have here? How can we now teach you to take these and be able to make commerce, to be able to make money out of these things? And, and he was explaining to me how they might take like a fruit that they can grow and ask them to try and cut it or use it differently than they've ever used it before. And he said that they, they can't even conceive the idea of kind of the entrepreneur mindset. Like, the, the, the idea is so foreign to them that when somebody tries something different, he said, every time the classroom makes fun of the one who tries something different. There, there's just no concept. There, there's, Israel had no idea of what could be. By this time, Moses had followed God long enough to know that he was a God of his word. And so, can you put up the next slide for me? So, this is what Moses said. He said, do not fear, stand firm, be resolute, see the salvation of the Lord, now move forward. This is what, this is what he said. But before we leave, and this is how I, I, this changes its meaning when you think of it in terms of deliverance. They, they are in this transition of being delivered from an oppressive hand their entire lives, from their fathers to their forefathers. This is all that they knew. All that they knew. And so how, how does this work for us today? And, and as I, I sat with this scripture and I said, Lord, I, just, I feel like there's, there's something else here for us. 
And think of something that, that has had a hold on your life. Think of something that you've needed deliverance from or something that you're even battling today. And let me just say it plainly. Deliverance sucks. The pain of getting through trauma, the pain of getting through addictions, the pain of, of trying to rid yourself of something that has had a hold on you, in some cases, almost your entire life, and, and now we're going to the Lord and, and we have this idealistic mindset of, of, well, I should just be able to give it to the Lord and that's it. You've just practiced this habit for 20 years of your life. It's not always as easy as saying, oh, okay, I'm just gonna walk away from this. Deliverance is hard. It's painful. What Israel was going through was painful. Some of us, we grew up in a judgmental house we only knew gossip. We only knew anger, angry outbursts. We, we created these pathways in our minds and our heads and our, our behaviors. It's like muscle reflex and, and muscle memory. This is all we've done. And, and Jesus is saying, get behind me. You are a new creation. Be my disciple. And so when you're taking your things, the things that you know that you need to give to God, all of a sudden now we're like Israel. And we're saying, okay, Lord, I, I've got this thing. And now, Lord, you're telling me, do not fear. All right? You, you're carrying this right now. And you're saying, Lord, help me. And so now, Lord, you're telling me that I need to give this to you. So I'm not going to fear anymore. I'm going I'm to stand firm in this. I'm going to be resolute in this deliverance that you need to free me from. Lord, I can see your salvation in this. I can see your freedom coming. And now then God says, and I, I love this, what he says at this scripture, is he looks at Moses and he said, why? You need to be silent and now you need to move forward. As a church, as people, that we, in churchy terms we call it sanctification, that you are never perfect, you've never fully arrived at this perfection of what it means to be a Christian. You are being sanctified, meaning that when you give your life to Christ, you are 100% heaven-bound, you are saved, you are Christian, you are perfect in the sight of God. However, God is working, he is sanctifying us, and he's moving us to the next level, and he's moving us to the next level. I think it was maybe last week or two weeks ago, Paul and Angie, we were out in the foyer, and everybody had, was gone, and, and I was sharing with them what the Lord has been showing to me, and things the, where the Lord is sanctifying me, and saying, you need, to, you need to move forward from that, you need to go we are in this process of deliverance. And friends, we cannot stay as usual. God has more for you. He's calling out to you, follow me. Get behind me as my disciple and I will deliver you. But you need to stand firm and you need to be resolute in this. See the salvation of God coming and move forward. Man, this is really good. And I'm excited about it. Man, would you please stand? I, I, I so believe that God has something special happening. I, I have been hearing testimonies of, of families and of people just diving and getting all in and God getting a hold of their lives. And man, I desire this for this entire church. 
I desire this for every person who comes in, who visits, that the Holy Spirit meets them. For prayer this morning, we, um, somebody was praying and saying, when they walk into these doors, may this happen. And when they come into the sanctuary, may the burdens of this life, may it melt away, may it, may it fall, and may they be able to be, hear the presence, hear the word and the spirit of God. It's for you. Can you say that's for me? Deliverance is for you. Just as God used Moses to help Israel get free, God is looking at you, he's looking at me, and he's saying, I want to deliver you in the same way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, actually, would you just put up your hands as if to offer the Lord things that you need to give him? Heavenly Father, we are people that are in desperate need of you. Lord, we do not want to move forward without you. We don't want to do anything without you, knowing that you, we need to know that you're in it, oh God. Lord, as, as we see, as you see these hands here today of, of heavy burdens, Lord Jesus, and of, of things that, that we know that we need to give to you, Lord, I just pray that you take them out of our hands today, Lord Jesus. Lord, I, I just cry out for deliverance in this place with an attitude of, of worship happening right now. We, we've gone longer than we normally do, and that's okay. If you need to go, I wanna, I wanna just say, go ahead and go. But I, I really believe that there is some amazing opportunities right now for some breakthrough in somebody's life. We have people that love to pray with you, pray for you. If you have something that you just would like some extra prayer with, just come stand at the front, and we will just come and lay our hands on you and pray that the Lord is going to give you breakthrough. Amen? Hallelujah. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.